0: Welcome to Procurement Reimagined, a podcast by Gatekeeper. We believe traditional procurement has had its day. The world is changing and our industry needs to change with it. On the podcast, we share the best practices to help you streamline your procurement processes, navigate vendor onboarding, and ultimately get the most value out of your vendor contracts. I'm your host, Daniel Barnes. In this episode, I'm joined by Hannah McDonald, Supplier Operations Lead at Monzo Bank. In this episode, we discuss the role of automation in procurement management at a large-scaling company. Enjoy. To start with, we could just go into a little bit into your career and what you've been up to. I know I said last week when we spoke that we actually went to the same uni, but maybe yeah. sort of 10 years apart. So that was a cool coincidence. But yeah, could you give me a bit of an insight into what you're up to now and what you've been up to maybe over the last 10 years?
1: Yeah, last 10 years, you're making me sound younger than I am now. <laughs> so, yeah, so I'm currently at Monzo. I've been there for almost five years, which is quite a scary thought in itself. I head up the supplier operations team, which is essentially like a one stop shop for anything to do with third parties. So, as a small organization and we were scaling, we haven't got the luxury of having a separate procurement team, a separate contracts team, or risk management. So, we basically built like a one stop shop for everything. So, it encompasses procurement, contracts, risk management, and obviously, see anything regulatory as we're a dual regulated bank. So when I joined back in 2018, there was about 200 people in the organization. Most of those were servicing our customers. So they were what we call customer operations, so cops. And we're almost, I think, close to 3,000 people now and 6,000 customers. So yeah, we're going through the hyper growth phase, which is really interesting and something that I love. And I experienced that in my job before. So prior to Monzo, I was at Just Eat. And I joined with 800 people, left at nearly 3,000 and was responsible for IT procurement and vendor management within the tech division. So I think I worked out my niche when I got to Just Eat was I really liked high growth companies. I really liked tech. And that, you know, it was kind of floating my boat was the right area for me to be in. And um, prior to that, like I said, I'm a bit older than you. So I cut my teeth, really. You know, I started on the service desk in IT moved up to managing operations, did some business analysis and development projects, but started to really, I suppose, hone in on, I really liked doing the vendor management and the procurement side of things. I found that was my area that I really enjoyed. And yeah, over the years have just kind of moved into that role, I suppose more and more. And then yeah, very lucky to head up a team now at Monzo that looks after all of that. So yeah, bit of everything really is, I suppose, my background and just really focused on what I really enjoy and and what I get the most out of.
0: Yeah. I um, hadn't realized Monzo was so, firstly, had so many employees. That is quite a five-year journey you've had there. Yeah. Just Because I appreciate as soon as you start scaling up in this kind of role, the amount of stress that comes on to you as a very small team is incredible. And you seem to be almost like a glutton for punishment in, in that way yeah. with your, your last two roles, which is yeah. just kind of cool.
1: I mean, Just Eat was, I think, when I joined 800 people and when I left about 2,600, 700, and I only spent two years there. So again, it was like, wow. you hang on for dear life. It's just, uh, but, you know, what an amazing place to be and the experiences you get are, I think, personal growth at an organisation that's in hyper-growth mode is incredible. If you can hang on and enjoy the ride, like, its it's an amazing place to be.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm with you there. So today, we're going to be talking about reimagining Automation in the procurement space, which I know people hear about automation. They instantly think about like artificial intelligence, robots, losing their jobs, a whole bunch of other factors that seem to kind of concern them. Uh, firstly, I just wanted to kind of give you an open floor here just to kind of talk about that. And uh, yeah, we'll go from there.
1: Yeah, I suppose where do we start? Because I think as you've just That's alluded good question. To- <laughs> The art of the possible is massive. And I think for me, having spent the last few years doing this in different types of organization, like even traditional tooling like ERP solutions are just built for different types of organizations. They're very manufacturing led or, you know, they talk about goods and stock inventories when what you're actually buying is software from a provider or (laughs) consultancy. And so I think even if you take it back to the bare minimum basics around like ERP procurement, you know, general ledger systems and so on, the tools just don't seem to fit the modern world anymore, or certainly the world that we're going into. Um, Things like the language doesn't mirror how people speak to each other day to day. And instantly you see barriers come up around people not wanting to use it because like they're talking, you know, what's a stock inventory when you've got a consultant coming on site or something like that. So I think when you talk about automation and procurement space, I think you can go back to absolute basic levels of like, what do we need to do? And even that goes to around like communicating with your stakeholders day to day. It can be as simple as a Slack bot or an automated email to say, hey, I've got your request. We're working on it. This is what we're going to be doing. Or, you know, things to manage team workload or contract approval flow, so something like DocuSign or EchoSign. And I think just from my perspective, anything that you can do to get the best out of your team and maximise the benefit of face-to-face or in-person time on the parts that really matter is automation where it's in its sweet spot. And that can be things like contract admin, everyone knows is not the most exciting part of the role. Definitely not. (laughs) But you've got to find a way to do it, right? Because if you unlock that, it makes like things like, oh, hey, I got a reminder to say my renewals are due. We should start planning that. So I think definitely some old fashioned ways of working in bigger systems, but also there's some real basic level stuff that you can fix yourself. And yeah, like you alluded to, future around artificial intelligence or machine learning algorithms doing sourcing or evaluation and selection or contracting you know could you have a bot that's willing to do some of the negotiation work i think if it's low risk and you set the right parameters to work within then it's got potential you know there's people using robotic processing to do invoice processing and matching and payrolls but then like this week's been really telling you only have to look at chat gtp that's been launched oh yeah And I'm like, is it a complete game changer? It's my best friend. (laughs) It's insane, right? I had to mess around with it. And I was like, okay. I mean, the the issue for me is, does everything come out as a homogenized response? Everyone starts sounding the same because they're using the same algorithm. Yeah. But if you can start to use tooling like that to speed up work, and like, I've looked at contract negotiation tools with model clauses in there, but nothing has really floated my boat that said, actually, I can really see this working in real life in a real practical situation. And I think if you work in a very standardized operation where you're churning out the same contracts all the time, and the only things that are changing is maybe, you know, the standard fields of like, who's the organization and stuff like that, you can definitely automate. But when you're working in a growth organization or something that's doing something a bit different, no contract is ever the same, right? You want to make sure you're mitigating as much risk as possible. And you're managing the processes as I suppose you're standardizing them as much as possible to make it efficient. But actually, the content of what's in there is very different depending on what scenario you're going into. So, yeah, I'm yet to see one that's kind of like ticked on my boxes, but I definitely think there's potential as like this space matures.
0: Yeah. So we're recording this during effectively the ChatGPT release. And uh, I just wanted to share one thing. I was messing around with it. And I asked it to write me a procurement policy and I set out all the parameters for like spend volumes, categories and things like that. It wrote one in like two seconds for me and it was absolutely incredible. It's like a two pager, which I thought was quite a sweet spot. I also asked it to make me a contract review process and it wrote me a eight step contract review process that pretty much mirrored everything I've ever created. Couldn't get it to do too much more, but maybe that's my limitations with it. And I think over time, I'll be able to get a bit more out of it. Yeah, so I'm excited. Well, that's a really cool one that you picked up on with Slack. I know you mentioned Slack and giving notifications. Is that something you utilize at Monzo?
1: It's a huge benefit for us. And I've said it before to like other people, which is I think when you're looking to deploy tooling into an organization, you really have to think about adoption and like how easy is it going to be for somebody to use? How, you know, I remember giving my mom an iPad and she was like, where's the instruction book? And I was like, it's intuitive. She's like, what do you mean by that? And I was like, just play with it. And you could see her face dropped and I was like, oh God, okay, right. I'll show you the basics. But for us at Monzo, like Slack is our native communication tool. And when I say people live in it, they absolutely live and breathe in it. We have so much built into that around incident management, around contacting certain teams and contacting them in a structured way so that you put all the information into the person responding to it has got as much information as possible. So for me, any tooling that we try and introduce, my default response is, is there any way that we can do this with Slack or with an integration with Slack? Because the more I keep it looking natural and native to Monzo and our staff, the higher the adoption rate is going to be, the less I have to train somebody. And the less, I think you've got a fear factor, right? The moment you take them out into a new system, have I done something right? Have I done something wrong? When do I get an update? And because of everybody working in Slack all of the time, they know when it's been logged. And we're very transparent at Monzo. So most of our channels are open. The other thing that gives you is a complete history of what's been done from start to finish. So you have to have good practices around making sure that content communications are either held within one channel, or if you've gone to another channel because maybe there's a big project you kind of run in one thread, that you make sure you link out. So if anyone goes back to that at a later date, they can follow the trail of everything that's happened. It has saved my bacon on many times, and especially (laughs) having done almost five years. I can still remember, I can search people's names and I'll be like, I know who worked on that. And I will guess words to try and find stuff if I can't find it logged anywhere else. So, yeah, I think for me, that means our adoption rate should be much better than using a different product where you take people out of the comfort zone and make them feel like they're doing something different.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really cool point around the risks around this space, right? Because if you have an amazing tool, and Slack is definitely one of those amazing tools, and everyone's using it. If you introduce change, do you just suddenly make a really inefficient way of working because you you lose adoption? So adoption effectively is one of the key risks there. Are there any other risks you see to automation? Uh, Maybe I'll share a silly one because I've been talking about automation for a a couple of years now. (laughs) Whenever I write about it, people are like, oh, no, it can't do stuff like that. Like it can't create records. It can't do this. You need someone to do that. And I just think these are sort of education barriers. Are there any other risks that you've kind of seen to uh, being able to automate more and procurement arise?
1: Yeah, so I think definitely start small. So I think, you know, again, everyone thinks of this, like, I suppose, North Star slash panacea version of you need a fully end to end automated product, which removes loads of human interaction, which is absolutely not where you want to go. You want to get rid of the mundane, repetitive stuff that needs data quality is one of the key things. So I think starting small, don't buy the WYSI tool at the start, build from the ground up, work out what's broken, work out what works well and fix things before you kind of do it. And there's that old saying of like, don't outsource what's broken. It will cost you more to manage. The same rule applies in this scenario, which is really understand how you are operating as a team, then try and like systemize it and then move it into tooling, which will then, then you can start to see, okay, we can make a shortcut here. I'm doing the exact project at the moment. I want like for every request that we get. So if it could be, I want to work with a new supplier or extend something with an existing one. There are multiple tasks which hang off of that. Now, at the moment, we have to manually create all of those. So I've got someone in my team now working to say, okay, when we get a task, it will automatically create these activities. If we don't need it, fine, we'll shut it down. But if we do, then starts to push workload to other teams so that they can then track it. And also from a visibility point of view, if you're the person making a request and you can see that there's six activity streams underneath your single request, five are complete. You know you've only got one left to do. So it's a much easier narrative to explain to people this is where you are in the journey. So for me in this space definitely start small. And I think the other thing is find the skills in your team to do this. So when I first joined Monzo, I was brought in as an ops kind of specialist. I've done this stuff before, but I came into the legal team as a starting point. And actually lawyers are not set up to do work (laughs) like this. There is a very, very different mindset. So I think one of the risks that you have is you try and get people that are maybe not suited to this type of activity, trying to drive it through. Actually having someone that geeks out a bit on, you know, writing a bit of code or wants to do workflow and optimization and their brain naturally thinks that way you will find your answers much much quicker so for me being multi-skilled in procurement is understanding operational processes how to optimize them and knowing what your end users need or your internal stakeholders whatever you want to call them but also what do you need from that system so for me The data is key. I want to be able to work out when we're seeing repeat tasks, which are low risk. Okay, we've had 10 of those. How can I push it to self-serve? You know, how can we reduce the friction for somebody doing it? And then I think the other thing for me, again, being in high growth companies, this is almost my de facto mode, which is you have to think and look ahead. Like you have to have a general idea of when something in your team is going to hit a crunch point and break. Yeah. So I remember writing in Slack months before it happened, I called it, I was like, we're going to outgrow the system in the next six months. And following on from that, you should be planning to do something about it. Because if you just keep going, the hole will get bigger. It's like, you know, the digging the hole and just you end up in the deeper hole and you can't get out of it. So for me, definitely be forward thinking around like, what does your organization need at a particular point in time? And if you're in a high growth company, you should be ahead of the curve. You've got to, because otherwise you can't scale and you will become the worst word that you want to be, which is the blocker and that's not the position that you want to be in.
0: And deservedly so, right? Like you would actually become a true blocker. It's really interesting. Like my last role, one of the first things I looked at was, oh, what does our tech stack look like in here? Because we were just building up processes as a Greenfield team, probably very much like your role initially at Monze. It's was like, oh, this is kind of working now. We've got repetitive tasks here that we probably need to get rid of what's the direction we need to be in in like two three years time because every other part of the business is scaling and we need to at least keep up or get ahead yeah. so that we are all in sync otherwise everything is just going to be on us and as soon as that happens you lose we've always spoken about adoption of processes and policies and governance and then no one wants to use you right like they yeah. will just circumvent you at every opportunity uh, one thing you mentioned and I thought it was kind of cool, was around coding there. Uh, and I just wanted you to ask a uh, question as to when you're hiring, are you looking for that skill set on someone's sort of CV? Like, oh, I'm savvy. I can code in various languages or whatever. And how are you addressing that?
1: Uh, yeah, is the answer. So our hmm. team is made up of risk management people, procurement contracts, and then Last year, we made a decision that we really needed, I suppose what Monzo calls like an analyst role. So somebody to come in and support the team doing other tasks. But for us, they had to be data savvy. We needed to work out how to build some dashboards. And like I could probably do it. Is it the best use of my time? No. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, absolutely. We brought in, actually, we I refused to hire externally and said, I only wanted to develop someone from in-house. So we took someone from our customer operations team and we hired only within that, well, basically advertised only within that space in the business and said, we want somebody to grow with us. And this is an amazing opportunity if you've got any interest in these types of areas. And so, yeah, absolutely, data I think low-level SQL skills were required, and it's such a payoff for us. It's accelerating things that we just haven't had time to do. So yeah, when you talk about how do you make up your team and what are the risks, not having those type of people, they become like real enablers for getting stuff done. And also, if they're not involved in some of the other day-to-day stuff, they can really focus on this, and therefore you get results much quicker.
0: Yeah, I I think that's amazing, actually. I was... um... Oh, I can remember a couple of years ago, speaking to people and they were saying effectively the procurement team in the future is not going to be made up of like category managers, which I know yours is certainly isn't, it's more ops based. And then you'll have people who are effectively data scientists, analysts who are crunching numbers, building out data sets and trying to figure out where's the direction of travel based on all of that incredible data that you're building up. And it already sounds like you have created that as a foundation within the team, which is awesome. Yeah.
1: I think we've got aspirations of what we'd love to do. It's just the reality of getting <laughs> some of it done. It takes time, um, right,
0: as well. It's oh, not, this isn't easy to do.
1: It's not. And also, for us, like, everything's a moving target. I think if you're in an organization that's got fairly static growth levels, it's very easy to predict some of the things that are going to happen. But when you talk about having like data and helping that to drive decisions we partner with the financial planning team. We partner with the finance team. We partner with security, privacy. You've all got data coming in from different things. So with the financial planning team, it's like, how many customers are we going to have? Because some of our contracts are driven by volume and we need to understand, you know, what's the average cost per customer? Other things are driven by headcount. How many people are we going to have? And so if you don't have those data points to hand when you're doing negotiations or trying to pull together what's the best deal for Monzo at that particular time? It's made up of your crunching numbers. So the commercial side of it, you're using data to make good risk decisions based on either mitigating risk or accepting it and be that across privacy, security, financial crime. So if you're not using data that you have, and believe me, we are not perfect in any way, mm. but our aspirations are, we should be making data-driven decisions and it, we should be feeding that up to the people that are ultimately accountable for saying, yes, we're going to go ahead with this because they feel they've got all of the information to make a good decision on behalf of Monzo.
0: Yeah, I think mean, that's incredible. And uh, I'm going to slightly change direction now because uh, we we spoke just before we hit record about ESG. And um, it's something that's been on my mind. I've been thinking about it over the last year. And I want to kind of gauge your view on what role procurement has to play. And we we'll use the word procurement broadly here, especially given the, the makeup of the team that you've just said, which is a very non-traditional procurement team and maybe a procurement team of the future.
1: Yeah. Oh, this is an interesting one. <laughs> <laughs> so I got given this project uh, when I got back from my sabbatical and they were like, Hey, <laughs> ESG sits in your area now for hand. We've got to work all this out. And I was like, okay, no worries. So yeah, I've been literally swallowing the book on ESG recently. And I think, My take on it is we've got a very, very unique opportunity to influence sustainability in our organizations and through supply chains. My take on this is also, I think we're in the midst of a generational change and people are making very, very clear and informed decisions around the impact they want to have on the planet. And my take on this is our next procurement leaders will have even more data at their fingertips than we do now. I still feel like we're kind of guessing a bit is my I think if you work in yeah, a uh, production manufacturing or production environment, I think it's a bit different. But certainly if you work in tech, like scope three is a minefield. Like I cannot mm. find any solid ground to stand on that gives me like accurate data. So. Yeah, so I think we are in a very, very unique position. And I think if you want to be a procurement professional in the future, if you're not an advocate for ESG, you're probably in the wrong role. I think this is going to become like a fundamental pillar of everybody's job within this area. So I think there's that about your own personal development and what kind of person you want to be when you're playing your procurement role or wearing that hat. Then also organizations that truly want to partner with you and that you want to work with really need to be aligned to your values. Because as an organization, there's no point being the best vendor in the market. If your ESG strategy is at complete (laughs) odds with your customers, it's going to cause a lot of friction. And ultimately, it's probably going to be a decision, which means that somebody decides not to work with you. And I think you can look at B Corp companies or, you know, someone like Tridos Bank that's very green, like they're only going to work with organizations that align with that market that they're going for and their underlying beliefs as an organization. So I think for me, Huge, huge opportunity here to really drive what the future is around emissions. Making sure that you know you're net zero by certain dates. How you maintain that is again another bit of a minefield. I can't find a single framework for measuring this. Not there isn't.
0: I don't think. think. I was doing some research earlier this year, and the only frameworks I could find were around investments opportunities. And I, I was, I read through so many of those, and they yeah. still told me nothing. <laughs> uh, yeah. Really, it's it's, it's impossible um, at the moment
1: yeah it does feel a little bit challenging i'll be honest but i think (laughs) from from my point of view i think the best thing that we can ask of our suppliers third parties vendors whatever you want to call them is they need to be transparent and share their plans And if we can get that as a starter for 10, then I think the discussions we have around how you reduce that or how you offset that through carbon credits or however you want to kind of architect that relationship you have with them, there needs to be transparency on both sides. Like, what is your plan? Like, what's Monzo's like or my plan or my target and ambition date for net zero? What's yours? And let's try and work out the delta in between and make sure that we can both work together to achieve that. But then also you've got nuances around within like Google, you can opt to choose which region you host your data in and which uh, where you're processing. Now they have some regions which are more green than others. So you can electively start to choose. If I host out of Norway, it's going to be better than a host out of another country. And you can reduce your emissions by just being very careful about making some choices. So I'd love to remove some of the guesswork because I think if you really want to make this part of your underlying decision-making process when selecting a third party... You need to have some consistency in how you're measuring your current outputs, how you assess what your new vendor may introduce into your carbon emissions and then make a decision based on that. And then you can bring in, you know, contractual clauses around like how do you want to work together? Do you put penalties in? Do you give incentives for being green? I think there's different ways that you can do it. But I think for me, work together collaboratively on this and somehow try and come up with a framework which is consistent across all of it it would be lovely to not have quite as much guesswork in this space.
0: Yeah, completely agree with you there. I think it's a really cool challenge though to have. I think you're probably equally excited and daunted <laughs> by yes, that's exactly the, how the I task feel. at the same time, right? <laughs> the way I see it is that, you know, we'll probably have C-suite roles that are chief sustainability officers at almost every company in the future. They'll probably come from a sort of futuristic procurement team, probably one that kind of resembles what you've started to put together at Bonzo. I think your advice there is pretty cool. And we've kind of covered this next question. So the question I was going to ask you was, based on your experiences, what best practices would you recommend to other procurement professionals? And like, I think you just gave one really sound bit of advice, which is get hot on ESG sustainability and really prioritize that. Would that be the one area you would say to focus on or is there anything else you can think of that maybe is it focus on ops is it get smart with the way in which you can digitalize aspects Uh, i'll kind of hand that over to you
1: oh yeah again another question that's really broad It's hard, right (laughs) um i think if i was coming into procurement now and like knowing what i've learned over the last however many years be a really well-rounded procurement professional and have the skills or be willing to learn that are going to meet the aspiration of the organization that you want to be in so like my background is tech I worked out, I geek out on stuff, okay? That's a good sweet spot for me to be in. But things like I can understand like how databases work. I've got a good understanding of cloud architecture. I've managed suppliers. I've been an internal account manager. And then getting into banking, I've had to upskill in a different way. So I think understand what do you need to do to be successful in the type of organization that you want to work in. I think for me, work in a place that you truly love and believe in the mission and that embodies like your own personal values. I think working in that type of environment will really enrich like any personal career in a lot of different ways. So I think be a multi-skilled person. I think there's, you are much more valuable and yeah, I get category management. I think for certain particular things, it's absolutely the right thing to do in particular areas. But I think if you want to work in a tech company or a growth company, like you need to be willing to wear many hats, especially if you join when they're small.
0: The category management approach is really interesting because I kind of feel like we're going to see it die out. That's just my personal view. With like the tech that's out there that effectively does all the market intelligence for you, and like in this tech space, having a category management approach to me is the complete wrong approach. The approach that's right is what you've just said, which is have really well-rounded people who understand software, who understand maybe like usage, and how that interacts. That much to your point earlier in terms of having good data. Do they understand processes? Can they talk to people? (laughs) Which sounds like a really silly one, but when you you really need to be able to talk internally and externally to get all of this. Yeah, so I think being well-rounded is the best advice anyone can have right now.
1: I think it's invaluable. We do partner particular people with certain teams because they've got experience. So one of my team does a lot of work with marketing. It also gives them a person that they can trust, they go to on a regular basis. But, you know, if that person's off, it doesn't mean that the world stops. So somebody can still pick it up. Um, And I think, again... Small lean teams and let's be realistic, right? We are in an economic downturn, lots of people are being laid off. You need to be really careful about how do you set your team up to succeed in an environment where it's going to be probably quite challenging to get new headcount. That's the reality. Yeah, definitely. Suppliers are going to put their prices up. So, you know, finding the optimum way for your team to run in that particular environment, I think, is key. I think the other thing for me is networking post-COVID. I've been to two events in the last like two weeks one in person one on a big like webcast thing And those two events have given me new contacts, new material, and I've pushed forward my thinking on like understanding of topics in the space of a couple of days. And I, again, there's so much going on in this space. It's such an interesting spot to be in. So many different topics risk management, ESG, whatever you want to call it, you know, automation of contracting. If you don't have those networks and you're not tapped into kind of like what's going on, you will be left for dust. You will struggle to find your way forward so for me especially post-covid like develop your peer networks find safe spaces to talk to people under Chatham House rules if you want where you (laughs) can just be like look I'm really struggling with this how have you got on and like I said those couple of events have really made a difference for me in terms of thinking and also just opened up doors I can go talk to that person now hey I saw you were on the call the other day it was really nice I love the question that you asked I'd love to talk to you more about it we did that right like earlier this year
0: Yeah, yeah. it's just this is literally how we maybe were talking on LinkedIn and we start yeah. chatting and shared some insights into, well, we had very similar roles before I uh, <laughs> moved on, right? So yeah, I'm with you. I, I think I've kind of prioritized the last two years of building a network and I almost feel like, oh, if anything comes up in any topic in procurement or legal or legal ops, I've probably got five, 10 people on each one that I can just message and they'll probably yeah. message back very quickly and give yeah. me some insights or suggest someone that I can go to. And that's been way more powerful than anything else i've done so far
1: yeah Yeah. i think the other thing is like again like you know you think about career progression where you want to end up having those networks opens up a million doors like you may get tapped up by the company or you start you know liaising with a person that's at the dream company that you've always wanted to work at and just by building those networks you know you create opportunities that wouldn't have existed before so i think for me it's such a biggie go work in a place that you truly love like i picked monzo as my target next organization and it has paid dividends like beyond anything that I ever. Expected. Were you a
0: customer before you joined?
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: Oh, okay. I, I an yeah. Awkward question if you weren't. No, but, no, uh, no, uh,
1: no. Very funny story. So I found Monzo by accident because I was going to Ibiza on holiday, <laughs> and I had this premonition I was going to lose my card. Anyway, my card did get nicked and in a club, and then someone tried to take out like two thousand euros off of it, which failed miserably. But my phone was like popping with all these alerts of them trying to use cash points, and I was like, this company is epic and I was like I said to my friend I was like I'm gonna work there so you know for me Monzo is doing good for society and I love the mission behind what we're trying to do which is make people more financially aware or help them make good decisions and there's something truly wonderful about feeling the work that you're doing is having a lasting impression on someone's life so yeah I picked up Monzo a very very long time It was like I think 2016 yeah yeah 2018 I turned up
0: that's incredible. So I am a also I'm a Monzo customer and absolutely love it. I have the nice metal card now, which I just oh got no, a few it's months very ago. Good. Uh, oh man, just love everything about it so far. Incredible advice. And maybe we'll go on to like a quick fire round. And the first question I'm gonna ask you, I think I know the answer to, you, which is what's one piece of tech you can't live without? But I'll just pass uh. that over to you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Can I pick two?
0: Yeah, of course. Pick Okay. Yeah.
1: So I think for me. Google Docs and Slack, I'm willing to say, you know, if you're working on OneDrive or something like that. But for me, two tools that you mean you can collaborate with everyone in real time and you have complete transparency around what's going on is such an enabler. And it makes my job and like my team's job and everybody else that's involved so much easier, especially if you work in an organization which is super transparent anyway. So yeah, I can't imagine going back to the days of marking up a contract, emailing it to someone, then they send it back for us just working in real time is is uh yeah. it just means we can get everything done so much faster
0: yeah yeah i, I i'm with you i i slack is I, I know there's can be a lot of negatives with it oh, uh, there is. <laughs> they're, they're always on the notifications but you can just dial them down to like so you you just change your work hours and it change notification times yeah. block people and reaching out I just love it and Google Docs and that whole suite yeah incredible you can give me a range for the next questions because I appreciate you may not want to share exact numbers or anything but how many vendors do you currently manage in total
1: so we've got about between 500 and 600 yeah um, suppliers and how many of
0: you are in the team
1: there are five
0: yeah that's like even if you assigned like one person <clears throat> to like a block it's over it's like 100 yeah. 150 right probably yeah in that...
1: so i think we don't divvy up working that way as such we take yeah. a really proportionate approach to managing our third parties so all of our uh, suppliers are tiered. We've got a tiering of like mm-hmm. one to four. Those that are in the top yeah. bucket are very small. There's, I think we've got six or seven of them in tier one. Those are like bank breaking. So if they fail everything at Monzo grinds to halt. The
0: regulator will have you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
1: And so those get the most attention out of all of them. They get the most oversight from us. They've got dedicated people in the business that are managing either work streams within them or they've got accountable execs are very aware of what's going on in that space. So yeah, those get the most. And then basically, we we just scale down. So yeah. the oversight level for the next tier down is that we don't monitor them quite as often. They still go through all the same due diligence process, by the way. So we do inherent risk assessment when we're onboarding based on like, are you sharing data? Is it critical? Is it part of the app? So all of those questions get asked. What comes out of that then is a proportionate level of due diligence based on how we're going to use that third party. So yeah, we've taken the approach that like let's manage this from a risk point of view rather than a number or volume. There's no way we could get through it all. And at the bottom we've got what we call tactical, which is tier four. So it could be like I want to post a job advert on an online website or memberships for like industry bodies or things like that. We can't manage yeah. them. They're just suppliers that we need. There's to no pay. need to,
0: is there? The inherent risk there of anything coming back on you is virtually yeah. zero, right? Yeah. yeah, we probably I, yeah,
1: spend yeah. most of our time probably working on a range of anywhere between like 25 to 40 suppliers that get the most of our attention so yeah it works for us and I think we you know the regulator talks a lot about being proportionate and mm. I think what we've set up is something that really focuses our attention on the things that matters and still giving good oversight and having good governance around all of the rest just we don't give them as much TLC as some of the other ones
0: yeah 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 no I agree that's the exact model that I used as well previously the risk segmentation I'm super conscious of time I just wanted to ask you the next you, super quickly do you know how many contracts you kind of sit under there is it around the same sort of number or slightly yeah, more like it's a kind similar. of alliance
1: yeah most of our suppliers have got like
0: a main agreement like a dpa yeah. maybe NDAs.
1: Yeah, everyone's got an NDA. Underneath that, there's normally a master services agreement. I'd say some suppliers have got like multiple schedules of work or we use them for multiple services. Yeah. So someone like Google we use for big BigQuery, like GCP stuff. We've also got Workspace. We've got marketing. We've got maps. We've got ads. So that's sure. got yeah, know, yeah. a bunch of different, but they're quite few and far between. Most suppliers either supply one or two services to us and they're normally covered under one contract. So yeah. we try to optimized towards having things rolled up so that we only have to go through like one renewal cycle and it means that yeah I agree due diligence covers it otherwise you will you're like chasing your tail all the time Mm -hmm. on contract renewals so it's just quite an inefficient way to operate
0: yeah no uh, I really like that approach and uh, the weirdest question I'm going to ask you is I'm a procurement genie what's your wish
1: (laughs) I think I would love I'd love a system where we can exchange contracts with third parties. That doesn't mean you have to download something out of Google Docs, send it, email it. And I know so many people have tried to do this with like online collaboration tools, but Mm. every party involved wants to use their own system. And so you end up with this, well, no, we can't use yours. Oh no, we can't use mine. And like, oh, you know, So just some sort of tool that would just make negotiating on a contract. I'd actually love to get to a point where people were quite willing to mark up the same document together, even if you need to have conversations outside of that document on the side to kind of agree a position but yeah one document to rule the world would be amazing but everyone's so worried about protecting their own interests and worry but you know i see a lot of posts around even lawyers saying wouldn't it be great if we could just like let it go and just agree that everyone's trying to get to the similar position in a contract and the majority of clauses probably only need a bit of tweaking yeah Um, it's
0: true but still there's so much barrier to actually having that right like every conversation i was having the last two years it was just like we're trying to do the same thing here let's just that word there can probably just go and then we've done it and yeah those decisions can sometimes take days just to come to yeah no it's a really cool point hannah it's been so much fun having you on here so much insights but yeah thanks for for
1: having me no it was such an interesting topic i like geeking out on it as you can (laughs) tell
0: (laughs) procurement reimagined is brought to you by gatekeeper To find out more about Gatekeeper and how our vendor and contract lifecycle management solution is delivering visibility, control and compliance to our customers, visit www.gatekeeperhq.com. And then make sure to search for Procurement Reimagined in Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts or anywhere else that podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Gatekeeper, thanks for listening.